I'm delighted to be joined by Kevin Simpson, uh, a hugely experienced educator and founder of ALOC, uh, which is the Association of International Educators and Leaders of Colour. Uh, welcome, Kevin. It's great, uh, great to have you on, on, this, uh, on this call today. Definitely. Thanks, Mac. Looking forward to today. Wicked. And uh, yeah, today we'll be talking all about how schools can build and retain diverse and inclusive teams. Um, so yeah, I think we'll just go, go straight into it, uh, Kevin, with the, with the first question. It'd be great to get a bit of background um, and a bit about your journey through education to date. Definitely. All right. So I always like to start by saying I'm a kid from Flint, Michigan in the U.S., grew up uh, born and raised in uh, the Midwest part of the states with some Southern roots. So my uh, mom and dad hailed from South Carolina. So, you know, there's always those trips back down South as we uh, grew up. Uh, so that's sort of like, I guess sort of like I'm a sort of mix of, you know, Midwest and South in terms of like the upbringing and things of that nature. Um, education, I think for me, uh, the discovery was in 1994. So some time ago, um, I was a, an undergrad back at Michigan State University and a part of what was called the Young Spartan Program. And the whole focus of that program was to connect the university that I was going to with the local um, schools. And so bringing resources, whether it was like individuals, um, organizations in and um, exposing kids. And so I worked closely to a principal, um, Dr. Liz, and she was amazing. And just all those different experiences with teachers and with students really just sort of gave me an, an eye opener into the possibilities of being an educator. Um, and so I was sort of pre-law and I added education as an additional major um, and went through traditional program and then um, started teaching full-time in um, a few years later after I graduated. And then overseas, um, I would discover um, during grad school. So around 2000, I um, met, met someone who looked like me and said that they were going to go uh, back to London when they finished their program in the summer. And I was like, oh, interesting. And so that was the spark that sort of started between him and then I had a mentee who said, I'm going to Sudan to start teaching there. Um, and so 17 years ago, I took the leap and started to apply and look into international schools and shout out to John Ritter. I always have to give him a shout out at Vinci International School. He's my first head of school. Um, and it was uh, just an amazing journey in terms of, um, an eye opener in terms of living and learning abroad. So that was my, my entryway into international schools. And then I would go on to work in Qatar and the United Arab Emirates and then a whole bunch of other places uh, with a company that I set up some years ago, actually 15 this year, celebrate 15 years, uh, call it Katie Sub Global. Congratulations. Fantastic, Kevin. So, so broadly experienced and such a sort of diverse geographic um, background as well with, with the way you've been teaching. So um, great. And so, so moving on to the next question. So, you know, what are, what are the benefits of having a diverse team in your school? Um, and how might a school um, attract diverse candidates? Great question. Um, and I think that, you know, it's been interesting listening and hearing, you know, throughout the international school ecosystem. And I, I definitely want to start by saying this, you know, I've been hearing folks say, oh, such and such, that's a diversity hire, that's a diversity hire. And I'm like, <laughs> even the jargon and the language we're using, you know, when we say that, is that like inclusive language? Because to me, that's all we're already starting, you know, we're starting something that we should start, you know. Um, and for me, I mean, that response, I would say what I've seen, um, I believe it's a guy out of uh, Toronto. I want to say his name is Ravine. He taught calls people where in situations where everyone looks the same, uh, homogeneity hires. And so it's like, we don't want that to be our culture. We don't want that to be us, you know? And I think that's a lot of, when I look at um, things around like diversity and the benefits, 
it's there's so many benefits. You know, I think around just my experience working with folks who speak different languages, who are from different countries, who are from different cultures and customs, um, and knowing that everyone had different ideas, everyone brought different perspectives. Um, there were a variety of talents. You know, if I didn't have something that, hey, I can go see Jody because she's well versed in early years and in elementary. And so I think a lot of it is taking stock and saying, um, as an organization, as a school. Um, do we do we value diversity? Um, is it something that is written, you know, in our vision, in our mission, in our goals? And then not only is it written, how are we living it? You know, so we to look back at it. Um, how does um, how does that come into play? And and um, how do we define diversity? How do we not define it? How do we want to define it? Um, and again, having it as a constant part of the conversation. Um, and for me, I think a lot of it is about knowing people. It's about building relationships. And it's about, I had one of my, um, I would say I had these stellar leaders um, who were um, administrators. And one of them said, um, he asked me, he's like, how can we feed your soul? You know, and I think that's the thing that, you know, when I think about leaders and hiring and bringing folks on is making sure that we see people um, in an asset, in a, taking an asset-based approach. Um, you know, a lot of times we hear fit, but it's like, how, um, how is this person going to contribute to the, the culture of you know, our environment and making sure that that is um, kept in the forefront. And so I think there's, again, there's numerous benefits. We know um, when we look across research to um, diverse hires and just like diverse and diverse teams. Um, the attraction, um, I think, um, and I'll talk about some of the examples too, in terms of attracting folks, I think a lot of it deals with um, looking and assessing where we're at, um, having that open dialogue, um, I think it's looking at seeing who, who's on staff, who, who's, uh, you know, who's, who are people who we want to share, who want to share their story and their journeys about working in specific schools um, and making sure that we're putting that at the forefront and, and, and it being a constant. You know, I see schools that highlight teachers, um, teachers of the month, teachers um, throughout various teachers. And so making sure that along the lines that, you know, folks see, see themselves. Because I hear so often people saying, I don't want, I'm not going to apply for that school because I don't see anyone who looks like me, you know, based on their identity. Um, and so I think when it comes to that attraction, it's looking and seeing practices that are in place. It's looking to see, um, are we, have, have there been any barriers put up? You know, we talked the other day about, um, you know, this non-native English speaker piece. Um, sometimes it's like, you must have, you know, um, training in certain things. When we know that folks can learn, you know, I wasn't, when I applied for IB schools, I was not IB certified and IB trained. Let me be honest. You know, my approach was learning as much as possible about inquiry, um, visiting schools, talking with leaders, um, taking courses um, and becoming well-versed and then using that in my class back then. Then I applied for IB schools, you know? And so I think a lot of times it's um, looking at seeing what's in place and are there things that we can pull back and pull away that will still um, attract great candidates, you know, across the board. Um, and we have some examples. I, I think about um, one of our aspiring of color, Tanae, um, him and his colleague, uh, Megan in Southeast Asia, they did an article on dismantling and building recruitment practices uh, through an equity lens and they're out of Southeast Asia. And for them, you know, sort of like five things stood out when I looked at their, their story, um, it was being intentional. So being intentional in terms of saying, again, for us as an organization, we value diversity. Um, it's looking at values, you know, again, so if we say we are a diverse environment, um, we value diversity, again, making sure that it matches. Looking at data, I mean, that's a given right there. We can just look at data and look and see from leadership to teachers, 
um, to all staff, like who, who is here? And then asking who is not here, you know? And then again, going to notice that, why are they not here? You know, um, constantly being engaged in learning, obviously. So um, there's, there'll be that state of um, learning. What do we know? What don't we know? What do we need to unlearn? And then being active, you know, seeking out organizations um, that focus on diversity um, and becoming a part of them in some way, shape or form. And, and you're so right that it has to be something intentional, right? That you have to live it on a daily basis. And it, you know, it shouldn't just be something that you think of once in a while and then sort of take a box or something. You know, it's something, like you said, that, that you have to live and breathe. Um, and I suppose it is part of, part of the culture, right? Of the school. And, and, and that's a very intentional thing. So how, what, are, what are some of the ways that a school could you know, look at their own culture and say, okay, you know, we've got some issues here maybe, or we want to sort of make, be more inclusive um, as a sort of a whole school. Um, what kind of things could a school do to, to build that, that more inclusive culture? Yeah, great question. And I definitely wanna give a shout out to um, Katrina Daniel Samasa. She is um, out of South Korea. And she, this is one thing that she hones in on. She says, before schools dive into, you know, DEIJ work, you know, looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, it's important to take stock and know your school culture. And what is the culture? What's the sort of the makeup? What's the behind the scenes? What's the day to day? Um, and how aware are we of that? Um, and I think that's always a place you know to start, especially when we think about inclusion. So, example, it's June. It's Pride Month around the world. You know, this is a prime example. If your school is quiet, not saying anything, not honor, you know, that's a prime example right there. That's just a just a, a quick snippet. And so it's like, how is your school celebrating family, staff? you know, scholars um, who identify as LBGTQ+. You know, it does the school have a designated um, DEIJ leader? So is there an investment in having someone who's gonna focus on inclusion in our, um, in our institution? Um, obviously coming back to learning and I always say schools are learned, they're ecosystems, but there's, they're learning organizations. So how are we constantly being in a state of learning about inclusion, what that means. So if you look back over, you know, staff meetings, you look back over your department, you know, meetings, any meetings, meetings with parents throughout the year, count the number of times you all have had conversations related to inclusion, you know, um, and things of that nature. And again, data. So that's always a big one. Um, and then I think there's always those simple things, listening to staff, you know, having those forms, those opportunities where staff can give feedback. Um, whether staff are going off and learning from other places, bringing that back and um, what impact that could have on the school and on teams and things of that nature. I mean, obviously, is making that time to discuss, assess, monitor inclusion, making goals. And again, I think one, if you have someone designated, and that's part of their role, that'll make it even you know, more, more better. So versus like here, you have this for a certain percent of time, but having someone who's designated in the building, that their, their sole purpose is to ensure that when we look at our environment, our school, that is welcoming, it's affirming to all, to all identities who are here. And with some of the schools you're working at, Kevin, are, are you seeing that more and more that, that schools are having a dedicated lead um, for DEIJ and, and really focusing on that? Um, is that something you're seeing? Yeah, definitely starting to see. We did um, at ALOC, we um, held space right, every other month for um, folks who identify as DEIJ leaders. And that was a place for them to come together, share practices, um, learn together. We had guest speakers and things. And so that I think definitely this past year, we saw an increase, you know, in leaders. Um, and, and all models differ. You know, some schools, it was like part-time sometimes. And I think for us, it's, we, if they're going to have that leadership position, number one, it needs to be full-time because that you can't, you know, couch and put that with another a teaching position, for example. And then um, obviously making sure they're part of the senior leadership team, 
and their um that their resources you know there, there's an investment in terms of like their own learning and learning for the entire staff because um like i was talking to um, i think school last week we talked about the life of the school and that dij leader is a part of the life of the school so that is from buses to the canteen, they are around. So they are, there's not just couched in a certain office in a corner. They're constantly a part of the entire culture and ecosystem of an organization of a school. And, and you know, so, say for example, a school, you know, is, is really making strides um, with diversity now. And um, and how how would they look to, so, so integrating diversity is one thing and, and sort of retaining that is another. So how might, how might schools go about retaining that over the, the medium to long term, obviously, this is something that they want to sort of integrate um, for the foreseeable well, going forwards. Um, so, so how, how might a school do that in, in the long yeah. term? Yeah, that retention so big. I'm glad you asked that, Mask. And so that's one thing I think when schools talk about, oh, we want to re recruit or we're looking at recruitment, you know, and I'm always like, are you looking at retention? You know, so it's just like, it's not just like, let's look at recruitment. It's like, those should be married together. So I should be looking at, you know, um, where are we recruiting from? You know, but not only in that, like, again, going back to, like I said before, free feeding soul. So how are we going to, you know, have those conversations around, around retention and also around like developing? So how are we thinking long term around a candidate who's coming into our, our specific institution? And so I think one thing we recently asked that, so I need some quotes. So one of our questions we asked um, some ALAC folks in our um, Finney space on uh, Facebook was around retention. Um, and what sort of schools are offering, what they did, what they may have not did. Again, you want to ask those questions. Um, and I had, a, here's a couple of things I'm going to read. So we had a member say, um, I, you know, hey, just being honest, I had, a, I left the school I was at. Um, they sort of tried to guilt people, but staff suggested better housing options, incentives for responsibility, responsible utility use and actual DEIJ initiatives. Um, but then it also was a piece that said that they got renewal bonus yearly after two years. So there was like a financial piece. Another um, ALAC member say that their school offers a nice chunk of money yearly after you um, renew, for, after staying for two years, you have more allowance. So a lot of these are financial, you know, so a lot of these that they were getting more financial and some were housing related in some way, shape or form. Um, and then another one said it was an increase in their end of service gratuity. So that was sort of the trend that we were seeing. Now, a lot of the incentives and getting folks to say were financial. So it was really connected to money. And so obviously some of the things that I did not hear, you know, because again, I'm looking, this is what we heard, but I did not hear things around like professional learning, opportunities to um, enter a pathway, you know, on leadership. Um, some of them did cite um, uh, enrollment or able to participate in graduate coursework, you know, if they needed to do that. Um, but again, it's just looking and seeing, taking stock of what do we have, and also again, listening to and asking those questions of you know teachers and taking action, and not again, like I said, making sure that with the recruitment we're thinking simultaneously with retention. So how how are we going to say? But then a lot of times, like I say, you can find that out in the interview. You can ask those types of questions, um, as well as like just just getting started, you know. And for me, I think one of the things that they you know. John Ritter, they did an excellent job of us. Once I said, yes, I accept the offer. I had a mentor within 24 hours. So Bruce and I were like, right on email, you know what I mean? So, and to me, that said a lot. Like, it's like, wow, I have somebody who I can talk to like right now, ask my questions. You know, I've never been to Southeast Asia to be in Chinlao. And so I think that was, I mean, that was, I'm gonna be honest with you, that was like a, a just a, a weight lifted off, you know, to know that I'm mean, like, I have somebody, and then to meet them, you know, when I got there. And so I think, again, those mentoring programs and, 
and things of that nature that you know can be built in. Very interesting. And there's a, there's a really interesting question that's just sort of popped into my head. And what is it, you know, what is it? So, so you're a new teacher going to, to a school and you're interviewing um, and you really want to know that, that it is a diverse environment or, or that is a, a massive part of the value system of the school. Um, what kind of questions could, could you ask um, if, you know, if you, all you say is the, the websites and, and, you know, the SLTs that, that you're sort of interviewing with, um, what kind of questions could you ask to sort of unearth this a little bit and, and understand or, or learn more about whether it is truly a diverse um, environment that you're, that you're entering? Yeah, that's a great question. Because, um, like I said, obviously you can look and see. You can. Uh, I would. I would ask things around. Um, like, if I feel like if there's not a staff member that is appointed in that way, shape, or form, like meaning that they're like, oh, we're going to connect you with someone, um, then I, I know people who said, could you connect me with someone at the school again? And so I think if this if the leadership or someone's not able to answer or not willing to answer, just like connecting with someone at that site. Um, so that, you know, they can address any of those specific questions around. But even just asking in, in terms of, you know, saying, um, I've noticed that in the international school ecosystem, there's been a, you know, a shift in work around DEIJ. You know, can you share with me your, where your school stands and some of the work that you all have did? You know, I think that's a fair question, you know, to ask um, and to learn in terms of more about, you know, and obviously my big thing is always going through these websites, you know, like I said, going back to the mission, vision and values. And if it's there asking, you know, a question around, like I've noticed in the, the values, one of the things you said is, is diversity. Um, because one of the powerful questions that I was actually asked in my interview, I so um, appreciate this um, for being Chin um, International School. They took each of the um, values and they um, asked, what did it mean to me? and give an example of, you know, as an educator, like something I did that connected with that. And again, I think that's a fair, I would, I, I know me, I would walk around there like, you know, here are your values, <laughs> you, know, you know, can y'all tell me, you know, what does this look like in action at the school? Fair question, you know? So, cause I always say as much as I'm being interviewed, I'm also interviewing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And that's such an interesting point that, that a lot of people tend to tend to forget, right? Even in any environment that you're interviewing at, um, it's almost like you feel like you're on show. But actually, you know, it is a two-way piece, right? It's um, mm -hmm. and even you know, the notice period, for example, oh, sorry, not the notice period, the um uh the oh, the first sort of three months where you're working, and then so you're you know, it's both for the employer to see whether the employee is right, but also the employee to see if whether the employer is right as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's such an interesting and, and important point. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. Great, and, and Kevin, what, what would you say the potential impacts of, you know, maybe not getting this right um, or having a diverse and inclusive workforce in your school? What, what could be some of the potential impacts there? Yeah, I think, you know, when I think of these scholars who've asked, you know, when we have an international school leader who looks like us, um, so I think going back to that, you know, what, what Ravine Kumar talks about hom homogeneity hires, that everyone looks the same, is the same, thinks the same. So it's that, you know, um, you, you know, lost out on perspective and ideas and innovation. Um, and then obviously it's getting into that whole notion of what does it mean to be international? You know what I mean? So if we all come from or look the same, you know, it's like how international are we when it comes to, you know, leadership and teaching staff and things of that nature? Um, and obviously it's a miss for the, for the, for the kids and for the families, you know, and I, like I said, I've, I've heard a bunch of kids that said, you know, I've reflected on my experience and my teachers throughout only came from here, only spoke this, only, you know, believe this, only were this, you know, um, and so, I mean, they've heard that. And then, I mean, to me, it's like, 
you know, turnover. It's like the environment, you know, how welcoming. If I walk, if folks walk into a place where everybody's looking the same, it's like, do I belong here? You know, then it becomes a whole questioning of, um, um, of, of presence and, 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 and role and things of that nature. So I think it's, it is, it's one of those things that is constantly, it's a constant, you know, within the, the recruitment and the hiring is obviously just constantly looking at who's here, you know, and I could say asking who's here, but who's not here. Um, because that we know that representation matters, you know, and that when scholars see themselves and see, you know, someone I've had folks that are in parts of Africa who are um, from Africa that teach at a school in Africa and just listen to their experience with, you know, the scholars and like, I speak this, I speak the same language as the kids here. And they're just like, wow, like, you know, miss or sir, like you speak the same language as us, you know, so it's just, it's just so different. I mean, I just, you know, reflect on those experiences just overseas and obviously in the States um, of being a black man. And like, you know, I remember having a class full of boys that looked like me and it was like, it was a, it was a different, you know, feel, you know, different feel. Like, it's, it's like them being open and them being just clinging, like, like, you know, all around. I mean, so it's just, it's this, this, this piece that just, I mean, just to try to explain, you see them like, oh, but it's um that piece on just representation. And for me, I'm like, kids need to see everybody, you know, especially when we talk about international, talking about global, kids need to hear all kinds of language. They need to experience folks that love different ways and experience folks that worship different ways, that look different ways. And so I think that's our big thing is that, you know, we all have different identities, you know, some of them intersect. And it's like, how do we, um, how do we capture that and know that that is a strength, you know, and a constant. So again, taking an asset-based approach um, in the work. And, and you came to found ALOC um, uh, over the last few years. Um, and it'd be great to, to dive into a bit about the, the fantastic work you guys are doing you know, all around the world with schools and educators. So um, yeah, if you, if you would sort of want to, to go into a bit about that, um, you know, the organization that, that you founded um, and a bit about the mission as to why, why, you, why you started it in the first place. Definitely, thank you. So it was around um, 2017 and we had a colleague who I was serving as a reference and she was told, don't, she was told, don't apply for that job. They want a white British man. And when she told me that, when I checked in with her, I was just, I mean, it just didn't sit well with me, you know? And it's one of those things where it's like, you either, you know, you either listen to it and it's like, uh, whatever, or it's like, it was, a, for me, it was a call to action. Um, and I set up then a Facebook group. It became an affinity space for folks um, who identify as black, indigenous, Asian, Latinx, um, as a person of color. Um, just a space where people can just connect because for me I was like is this who we are like is this going on like you know um, and you know out of that sort of formed a couple years later we turned to an association so it's um, where we hone in and devote our time to amplifying the work of international educators and leaders of color um, and our sort of three uh, pieces that we 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 delve in is advocacy learning and research now it's because those are things that we really didn't again didn't really see so um people having someone who can work side by side with them solo or as a part of a group or with a partner to advocate when you know different issues arise in any way shape or form at their school and their site especially if they're uh, the only one um, um learning um, a lot of the learning who gets to lead learning who don't don't get to lead learning i mean there was a definite um pattern across that um, and so it's like, it shouldn't all be the same. We're talking international and global. So making sure that there's representation accordingly. And then research, like the topics that are researched, like who is researching folks of global majority? You know, where are the folks that have these various identities? Where are their stories? And so 
Um, that's what we focus on. And we some of the things we do, you know, we do an annual conference every um, every November has been virtual um, and open to everyone. Anyone can attend that. Uh, we do ongoing learning uh, webinars, same thing. Anyone can attend those. And then we have different groups based on sort of identities. Um, so we have Black Women in International Schools, um, Asian Pacific Islanders, we'll start Latinx. Um, we've had um, African Ally um, Affinity Group. Um, so we have various groups that um, will meet. And those are member-driven. So the members initiate those groups. So members um, just um, approach ALOC and say, hey, we're interested in this. And we have SWANA for folks that are from the MENA region. Um, and we just provide space and say, how can we support? Um, and then we do some of the things we do is we have uh, our Spiral News of Color program. And again, this came about because we were in so many sessions where that was, the conversation was, um, you know, where's the pipeline? Um, we're not seeing, you know, folks of the global majority or BIPOC folks apply for these leadership positions. And so once we sort of heard that a few times, Nadine Richards and I worked together to craft and create this program. So we just had our first cohort of seven folks um, graduate, seven uh, stellar alumni. Um, and so we'll start our next um, program up in the U.S. fall, so September. And um, we collaborate an issue with ECIS, ISS, and CIS. They're our partners with it. And so we'll have a cohort of eight to 10. Um, we've had a lot of people apply, so it, it was definitely uh, busy. So we're looking at those coming up soon. Um, so yeah, that's just a little, just again, about you know, what we do and everything else we always say, read, uh, we have an international educator equity statement because we feel like that grounds us, that tells the work that we're devoted to doing um, to ensuring that when we think about international schools that diverse equity, inclusion, justice and anti-racism racism are not just words, they're not just terms. They're not just statements, but they're actions that we are all devoted to, um, that we know that this work, whether, you know, the kids that we're working with, we know, we don't know where they're going to end up in the world, from university to business to um, wherever their trajectory is, they're going to interact with all kinds of people. And so the question becomes, like, how are we um, engaging in those, con those conversations, those questions, and making sure that we're teaching effectively, you know, to, to meet um, to make sure they, when they meet the world, when they encounter um, different situations that they have the language and the know-how, um, but also to say that they'd be able to look back on their own experience and say, you know, I'm aware of this. I've been globally prepared um, in any situation. And so I think that's our big thing. So our, we have two youth partners, um, which I can brag on all day, Reset Revolution and Otis, the organization of Decolonized International Schools. And they are young and passionate um, and I think that's our big thing is making sure that in all this work, we center students, we center their voice, we center, we center alumni. So that's, 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 a that's amazing. And it is so, so incredible to see some of us, you know, it's turned an experience into, into action um, and sort of built this amazing um, community resources, research um, uh, around, around the topic and around such a, such an important cause. So um, yeah, incredible work. And, um, and just, just picking up on, on something you mentioned there, um, the, um, Inspiring uh, Leaders of Color, um, the, the program. It'd be great to, to just dive into that a little bit. Um, and and is, that, is that a year-long program or is it a six-month program? And, and how can, um, you mentioned there are eight, eight or nine people on the cohort at the moment, you said. Um, how, how many people can, can join that? And yeah, yeah that'd, be, that'd be great. Definitely. So we launched it in March of 2021. And so it um, runs roughly around a year. So um, nine months, almost a year. And so it's a combination of coaching. Um, so each mentee is assigned a mentor. 
Um, we try to match them geographically. Sometimes it doesn't work out, um, but they are in ongoing conversation with them. Um, we have a platform through SchoolSpot where any sessions that we hold, so we hold these um, ongoing monthly community learning sessions uh, who feature different um, international school leaders, uh, folks in the recruitment space, um, it might be consultants on different topics. Um, so we've had like Emily Meadows, we've worked with ISS Search, um, we've had different leaders like Ryan Prasad of um, Brazil um, that will share on different topics. And so that's sort of the collaborative piece, um, but also the sort of like, after I've heard this, sort of what's my next step? What's my new learning? What's my next step? And then the, the conversation between the coach and the, um, or the mentor and the mentee will occur. And then just like networking amongst each other. Um, and so this first cohort that just graduated, we had um, seven all over the world, mostly Asia, uh, mostly based in Asia. And then this next cohort that we start, we're looking at probably eight to 10. We try to keep it small. Um, and then throughout the, they have various sort of um, courses on different sort of topics that they're engaging in. So we talk about culturally responsive leadership, what it means to lead an effective team, um, challenging situations that occur at international schools. And everything else is around like inclusion, diversity, strategic thinking, marketing, um, and the board, working with the board. Wonderful. Fantastic, Kevin. Um, thank, thank you so much for your, for your time. It's been a, such an enlightening conversation. Uh, it's such a such a, a big topic that you know, I'm sure we could spend many, many more hours discussing. But um, yeah, thank, thank you for this uh, part one discussion. Maybe we can uh, do a part two soon and, and sort of dive into a few of the, a few of the areas that we've, we've touched on in more depth. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time, Kevin. And uh, great, great time. And congratulations on the launch of the ISN Network. We're super excited to share it with ALOC and Anytime, you know, invite us back. Anytime. Amazing. Thanks so much. And, and for everyone listening, you'll be able to find all the all the links um, in, in the article below. So yeah, yeah, do do go ahead and, uh, and check out the great work that Kevin and his team are doing. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Max. Cheers. Ciao.